You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your co-host, Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my wonderful partner in crime, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Today, we're talking about aligning revenue teams with a consistent language, process, and tools. And doing this all while ensuring that our processes are aligned with the customer journey. And to help us out with that very important topic today, we have Angela Pritchett, expert in revenue performance and productivity. Angela, thank you so much for taking the time today and welcome to the show. Thank you. And thanks for having me here. Well, we're happy to have you. So we always start with the same question, just to get a little background on you, a little insight for our audience Angela, what is that one thing that you might be very passionate about, but those that only know you through work might be surprised to know about you? Well, that's quite an interesting one. I'm quite transparent with the people that I work with, but I think if I was to say something that they might not know, it's probably my passion for being different and creativity around interior design and landscaping. So I love to try things out, something a bit new in my home and in the garden, And I'm lucky enough to have a husband who's really talented and creative. So he can take that vision that I have and put it into reality. And you may just see slightly in the background. So I'm not using any kind of Zoom background or Teams background. This was one of his projects that he did for me just recently. Nice. Amazing. And is it barn boards or is it it tile? I can't really tell. No, it's actual like panel boards that have been painted. So like kind of Swedish like cabin, that kind of very cool vibe, I think. Yeah. So it's quite nice to be in here. I spend a lot of hours here. So <laughs> that's right. It's important to love your space, especially when we're all working from home, right? Yeah, for sure. So you dream up the projects, he's got to make them come true. Yeah. I think I've got the better but it's hard side of that bargain, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. All right. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to this part in your career? Give us a little background on Angela. Yeah, so my journey began in learning and development. So I was a business technology consultant. I worked for a company for 11 years, a healthcare company called Bupa. Some of you may know that. And in there, I was a technology consultant helping the business to deliver training in technical solutions. And I was always curious really to understand. It was really great to deliver these training solutions to our employees. But what happened when they left the room? Well, after that, they had that lovely experience. The lunch was nice. It was a day out of the office. Hopefully they learned something when they're in that classroom with me. But what happened when they went back? How did that impact the business? What return on investment were we getting from doing these trainings? And that kind of morphed my curiosity, getting involved in other programs with the IT team. And then eventually that turned into a role into sales enablement. So I began my journey in sales enablement probably 15 plus years ago when it first came across the pond from the US. You guys always have these wonderful new roles and ideas and they come across to us in Europe and it takes us a while to get in bed. So in my role as sales enablement manager, I've sat in product, I've sat in marketing, I've sat in sales. And the biggest thing for me taking the work that I've done in L&D was about the curiosity to take what we're doing in enablement and turning it into a reality. So why are we there? We're there to build pipeline, generate revenue for the business. So how do our enablement programs do that? So I was able to start constructing a framework, a model that was able to realize that enablement potential, be that training, be that content, be that tools. And in one particular program that I delivered, 
we brought back £40 million of revenue to the business from our enablement programs. So that model I've used now and taken to different industries, different organizations. We've adjusted it as we needed to. But it probably has been the best thing that I've done in sales and that serves me well from then until this day now. Wow, that's an, a fantastic return. <laughs> Incredible. And Angela, so just to kind of back up a step with when you're talking about all the revenue teams, which teams do you feel fall under that revenue umbrella? Because it sounds like you were kind of quarterbacking amongst many teams. So when you get started from the beginning with a client, which teams are you really focused on? Yeah, so for me, it's mainly those quota bearing heads and typically marketing, sales and customer success and support. But just recently, there's been the need to involve more of the commercial product teams as well. So even though firstly, sales enablement started off with just sales, it's now morphing into those revenue teams, marketing, sales, customer success. There's also a team that's kind of being left behind, and that's the product team. And so when I look at programs and initiatives, that's the team that I'm focusing on. That's so interesting because the product team oftentimes are like responsible for the innovation and the roadmap, right? So revenue can be directly tied to that. Exactly. We use tools now like conversation tools and customers are telling us about things that they want in the journey. So in our partnership, you know, it's circling back that information that our customers are asking for and bringing that back into a roadmap. So with so many teams involved in this, how do you drive that alignment on goals when different teams are going to have different focus, maybe overarching, like it's all driving the corporate objective, but how do you make sure that that's the case? Yeah, and that's really, really important. And in different organizations, we've dealt with that very differently. I think in the most successful organizations that I've worked with, the goals typically come from the top to start with. So understanding what the plan for the company is in the following year, but the three and the five years ahead. So understanding what those company goals are, and then the teams understanding those goals and then working on initiatives that meet those goals. So everybody's kind of falling like a waterfall following those goals. But also it's really important that they also have their impact so that we can also feed back from teams upwards. Definitely. Awesome. And so have you ever run across a time when there's been a misalignment and like you've had to help shift mindsets and get the focus back on what truly is the priority? Yeah, sometimes that happens a lot because people are really passionate about the role that they do. And sometimes that comes about when communication isn't clear and things people aren't being transparent. So by putting in those mechanisms of communication, regular communication and cadence and transparency, people can then see, am I I'm on track or have I gone off on track on something that was realistic to my team and my team only? And so bringing that focus back. So again, it's about that communication transparency and making sure that people are sharing where they are and where their progress is to make sure they're all heading in the same direction. I love it. There's an exercise we run with in some of our training where we actually get people to really focus in on what do you get paid to do? Because it's so easy for your calendars to book up with so many other things. And to just take that exercise and we actually have them list everything in their calendar in a week and then rank it from most revenue generating to least. And it's always a bit of a shock, right? <laughs> and I love that. So something else that we've been doing similar to that, we've been partnering with another organization who's been teaching us about where to focus your attention. So as in a revenue team, you're very much under pressure. It's a pressure I'd roll, right? And so we want people to perform under pressure throughout the whole stage of their journey, whether that's the end of the month when you've got those targets or end of quarter, you can suddenly become distracted and focus your attention in the wrong places. So we've got some frameworks in place that we've been working on to bring people to basically help them to zoom out 
and zoom back in and then to be able to focus on that uh, task at hand and avoid those distractions and things you can't influence or control at that time. That's so important too. There's only so many things you can control. That's I, I work with a lot of prospecting teams like SDR, BDR teams. And I'm always saying like, focus on what you can control. And one of the biggest things you can control is your effort. So it's so easy to get caught up in the anxiety of things that you really can't effect. So that's a great, that's a good exercise. I'm one of those people, I've got these little post-it notes all over my desk. <laughs> I, I actually, that's how I build my priority list. And then I reorder my post-it notes for like with dates of what needs to be done at which time, because it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed as an entrepreneur as well. So yeah, I love that you do that exercise. The last thing I want to ask you about on this topic specifically is that have you ever worked on aligning incentives and bonuses so that teams feel the sense of mutually beneficial arrangement is a good idea? Like, is that a good idea or can it lead to unhealthy competition or un- unhealthy environments? Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about that, Nick, especially as so we're at the end of the year thinking about what we're doing next year. I do think there's something in aligning incentives and bonuses to the common goal. So as everybody's working towards one common goal, we're striving for the same thing, sense of purpose, one team. However, there's, I think everybody's motivated differently. So it's really important that if you are going to set those goals and incentives, you do get to understand your people, your employees, because what motivates one person doesn't motivate someone else. So I think you have to be open and know what motivates the majority of your employees so that they can feel like they're part of something that they want to achieve. So true. Everybody talks about compensation driving behavior. And I've put a lot of comp plans throughout the years together. One that my people love me for, I actually thought it was a great mistake. So we had these pre-sales teams that had a team goal. It could be regional, company-wide, and they had amazing teamwork. And I added this one little kicker that was based on individual results that everybody loved. But in all honesty, honesty, it didn't drive the teamwork behavior. It kind of got in the way of that. So it's interesting. We talk about comp plans, really thinking about, hey, what's the behavior I'm ultimately looking for at the end of the day? You may not like what your results are. Like I just slice it my, in my experience, right? To kind of think through it. I love the fact you talked about a consistent framework. All our clients that we talk to, it seems like, hey, what's your number one challenge? Sooner or later, they go, oh, we need a consistent language, framework, conversation to get started. I'd love to ask you, from your perspective, what do you recommend for organizations as a way to get started? in trying to implement a common framework? So for me, it's about understanding where you are. What's your current situation? What's going on right now? And then understanding, again, linking this back to what we've been talking about already is, is what's the plan for the business? Where are we trying to go and how are we going to get there? So understanding where we are, where we want to go, and then where are the gaps? And then breaking down those gaps. And then most importantly is as you start to build that framework, you know where you're coming from, where you're going to, the gaps that you're starting to close But how do we know, this is the most important, how do you know you're being successful? And not at the end, not when you get to that end place, but along the way, because things change, markets change, customers change, employees change, everything is changing and very fast. So you need to have milestones in place that you can check. Where are we? Are we where we should be? Is this the result we wanted to see? And hey, if not, no worries. Let's be adaptable. Let's be agile and let's flex so that we can get back on track not wait till we get to the end and go, hey, we missed that one because we didn't check in, but be agile and know that as we go along, we're getting to the right place at the right time. I love that. In fact, we do a similar exercise and to kick off our programs with leadership teams. And I kind of want to know what are their goals? 
What are their challenges? What does success look like? And then try to align everything that we're doing in this program, this value selling program to those goals, right? So it's not in addition to, right? It kind of becomes part of it. Now we get started. Uh, Awesome. Lisa Carlos, that was wonderful. Loved it. Best ever. Real world smacks them in the face. So here's my next question for you. So after that initial, woohoo, loved it. Real world hits them. What are some recommendations that you believe to help those? Not only, and I even we can think of it as two questions. One is the individuals, right? How do I as a rep change my behaviors just a little bit to get better results? But then as a leader, as a manager, how do I do that consistently across the team? Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to flip that around if that's okay. So I'm going to start with the leaders. Fair. And something that I've shifted mindset on. So every time we have a program initiative, whatever that may be, the first person people we're going to talk to and educate around or help and support is our leaders, because these are the people that are going to scale this stuff. And so before we've sometimes just rolled programs out to the reps and the leaders have been part of that. We've not really given them any additional coaching or support. So then to your point, they go away. What's the change? What's the change that can, well, the leaders didn't know any more than the reps. So how do they coach and train to that? So what we do now is make sure that we are giving the leaders the coaching and support they need so that when we do roll out these programs and initiatives, they suddenly become part of daily activities. And so we're talking about revenue teams. So an example there, rolled out a program, the minute that the reps go back in their next one-to-one, in their sales activities, we've brought that language, that process, those tools back into the daily life. So it's living and breathing daily. It's that constant memory reminder Because half the things that they learned, if they came to a program, for example, they've probably forgotten before they've even got home. So it's reinforcing that, that memory muscle over and over again and building it into something that is a daily activity, not an additional activity because reps are overwhelmed. They have a lot to do. Okay. So it's perfect because you kind of lined up to my next question. When we think about ongoing reinforcement, month after month, quarter after quarter, what are some examples of those activities that you have the team, those leaders do to kind of keep that focus? Yeah, so we use, we actually use some tools as well. So we, conversation intelligence tools, for example. So again, whatever those new initiatives, that'll have that new language, whatever that new change is, we're reinforcing that. So when we're listening and coaching to the customer conversations, the managers are reinforcing that. So again, breaking it down into bite size because there's so much to do. It's taking little chunks of that and reinforcing that in coaching. So I noticed that you had this call with X. In line with what we've just done and the new tools we're talking about, how do you think you might have brought that in or what could you do differently next time? So it's constantly reinforcing that in the tools, the same way in the CRM. So as they're inputting the information about the prospects that they're speaking to and taking them through that cycle is bringing back that language. That tool, remember that tool that we were introduced to when we did X, I didn't see that you used it there. Do you think that had you used it, that might be benefit? Or, hey, you did a really good job there. You've put in that storyboard or that terrain map, and it's a really good example of what we're looking for. I'd love it. We could share that with your peers. Do I have your permission? Can we do that? Okay. So since you're talking about tools, I see some organizations buy all sorts of tools for their revenue generation teams. It almost looks like a NASCAR. I don't know if you know what NASCAR is in the UK, but yeah, it looks like you know, all those logos all over the place sponsored by. And I'm like, guys, it's so hard to get them just to use CRM. So from your perspective, what might be the top two or three tools that you think are critical to really drive those processes in revenue generation roles? 
that's a hard one. I mean, CRM's at the top, right? We need to be able to understand what's happening through the revenue life cycle. So that's always at the top. It also helps us to plan and forecast as a business, understanding what our pipeline is, what deals are coming in, what's happening to the deals during those different stages so we can educate, develop and enhance. But for the next one for me, and I'm sure some of the people that I've worked with that own these tools will be pleased that I'm saying this, it's the conversation intelligence tools. So especially when you have a big team of salespeople, you can't possibly go into those customer meetings. Also, when you do that, it's not fair on the rep. Suddenly, they've got somebody in their meeting looking over them a bit like Big Brother, and they're feeling like they're being micromanager inspected. So having the ability to listen to calls at any point, at any time, listen to snippets, listen to whole pieces to really understand what's going on in those customer conversations is really key and has built a lot of programs and initiatives for us and helped us to change really fast. All right. Do you do any type? Because when it ends up happening is right the we onboard these employees, we give them all this training, all these different tools. They're trying to learn the product. It's almost, it's just too much to capture. So for the daily, monthly, quarterly activities with managers, how do you recommend you kind of do that constant coaching to even get them to listen to those recorded calls, for examples? So yeah, some of these tools are really great. So they can, they have the choice of in the moment to be able to give a piece of coaching. It could be a video, it could be text. It could be a document. Or the other thing is that you can do is you can say, hey, I just listened to another rep only last week that did this. And so I'm going to share you what they said in the exact same moment. So again, sometimes as well, it's like that peer coaching, right? So it's not coming directly from the manager. So it can be expressed in a different way. It could be one of those top performers, right? That everybody wants to be like. So there's a lot of credibility. So let's share what they did last week because that's not necessarily something that they would know. So, and then obviously in the one-to-ones is the opportunity to give that live feedback from things that they're seeing and hearing from around the business. I was just doing a coaching call with an EMEA team this morning and two pieces of advice I gave them and I'm laughing in the back of my head because it's similar to what you just said is, one is if you see someone with the right, doing the right behavior, get them to share it. You could tell them 10 times, but when Joey or Sally that's been successful at last deal tells it, they go, oh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yeah. And that's true of enablement teams that are there. The most credible person is that top performer. Those other people doing the same role, experiencing the same things. Enablement's there to support, but not always is it seen as, oh yeah, I'm going to listen to that enablement person. Because when was the last time an enablement person was actually in a live customer call? Let's be frank. Right. Let me flip this over for you. Any mistakes that you see enablement operations teams make that you go, hey, it's costing you that productivity? Yeah, I think it's about not really understanding what's really happening in the moment at that time. So again, we talked about company initiatives, team initiatives, but it's being aware of what's going on around the business. So if it's the end of the quarter, don't roll out training. If it's understand the calendar, understand what else is going on, a product delivering something to the sales team. So again, be mindful of their time, break this down into chunks and make sure that they you understand the benefit to the person and the rep that you're talking to. Because when you can do that, you will get their buy-in. And if you can show them something that's going to benefit them, they're all is. Awesome. We've been talking a lot about corporate initiatives, corporate objectives, the reps, how to reinforce this. Let's flip it around to the customer. So how does all of this actually align to the customer journey? That's a really great question. It's something I'm really passionate about. So 
everything exists. We're all in jobs because we're servicing customers. And so many reps are so passionate and excited about the solution that they can offer customers that sometimes we go quite fast down a process. And what I mean by that, and something that we tell our reps a lot, slow down to go faster. And what we mean by that is really take the time to understand what's important to the customer, what their story is, what they're trying to do before we try and match that to our solutions. And so it's really important to understand that customer journey so that we are having the right conversations at the right time with the right people. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> so easy for us to get uh, too focused on internal, like our selling process, when we really need to be thinking about their buying process and making sure that we can match up to that. So when you think about, because we talked a lot about tools here, when you think about automation, how much of that plays into the customer journey as well? That's actually huge, right? So when you understand what your customer journey is, and then you understand what your internal revenue processes are, what that enables you to do is look for any efficiencies or effectiveness that you can bring in. So duplicating of resources, so resources in different departments doing the same thing, time and resource. So it, and then are there any tools that we can do to automate that process? Ensuring that people, your biggest assets, your resources are spent time having the conversations at the right time with the customer rather than caught up in some of those kind of process type situations that could be done automated through email, through technology. Right, right. Perfect. And now you don't have to like name drop specific brands. We are not sponsored by any of these tools. (laughs) However, when you've experienced putting your model into place and really focusing on aligning to the customer journey, are there any specific tools that you found that made this sync easier? Yes and no. So I think about tools in two buckets. So it's the technology software, but also then the tools like storyboards and terrain maps and those kind of tools. And so I'm going to talk about the toolkit. So those tools, because when we put into place with our common language and processes and a set of common tools, things like storyboards and terrain maps, and we build them at the very beginning of the customer journey. So when we're first having discussions and starting to understand the customer and we move through that journey with the customer, and, we, and that passes on. So you've got marketing generating those conversations at the beginning. They move to an SDR. SDR moves to sales. We manage to find that sweet spot and we're there and we're providing uh, the solutions to the prospect they're turning into a customer. There's that handover to the CS process. Now, what, we have, what you often find sometimes is there's a duplication of effort internally. But what that does for the customer, when you show up to the customer, you look like a disjointed team. That's not a great experience and should probably put some doubts to the customer about, is this an organization that I want to continue having a relationship with? So when you have toolkits like those that build through that revenue journey that pass from one role to the next, we're able to have the same conversation. We're not duplicating anything. And the customer sees us as one team streamlining their processes and truly understanding them. Excellent. It seems so simple, right? But you don't realize that you have these inefficiencies sometimes until you go and look at your internal process and you map that out. Agreed. One of the things that we do in our process, which is not ingenious, we call it a mutual success plan or mutual engagement plan, And it's basically documenting those conversations from the beginning back to your customer. So you're not just documenting it in Salesforce for your manager. You're really documenting it for your customers. Like, hey, why are they doing it? Why are they doing it now? Why are they doing it with us? How do they justify that purchasing decision? Who needs to get involved? And what's the timing? The customer's timing to success, not to deal with closing. 
which everybody nods and goes, yeah, that's great. But I got to tell you, I struggle with teams executing on it. And I love your advice, right? So here's something that's very beneficial to the customer. It's very customer focused. It happens to be the same data we want. And I'll come back to that in a second after you answer this. But sales teams struggle in, in keeping doing it and doing it consistently. Any advice? I've also experienced that. And it's a tough one, right? Because it's really important to bring that customer in on that journey that you're going through. So a tool that we use is called, we actually use a, a cross check. So it's literally a cross on a piece of paper. It can be done on the back of a napkin, wherever you are. And what that enables you to do is to understand what's driving those customer requirements and what's the goals that are coming in, what's the challenges, what's the opportunities, what's their requirements. And so what we call that stage one, stage two is like above the line conversation. So truly getting to understand why the customer is talking to us, what problems are we going to try and solve for them. And then below the line in stage three and four is around then presenting back, now we understand your story, what you're after. This is what we do. This is our story. And these are the solutions we can help towards what you're trying to do. And then stage four, the last stage in there is really those concerns and anxieties because there's going to be some, right? We always... As a buyer, you go down that process, there's always going to be some concerns. And what we do is we use those cross-checks, not just internally, but also with the customer to say, hey, from our conversations, this is what I think I understand. Is this a fair representation? Is Have I missed something? Would you say this is true? And again, that's used in the early stages of conversations with customers. But then that's shared again down the process with the CS managers and CS teams then when they're in those onboarding and that implementation conversations can bring this up and say, hey, when you spoke to my colleagues back in whenever, because again, implementation don't always happen straight away. And again, not just then, but again, and your milestones and your QBRs bring this back up, adjust it, check on it. So using the tools with the customer to make sure that everybody is aligned. And I think the customers, they relate to that and it makes it easy for them. You're not their only vendor, right? They're working with lots of other people with lots of other goals going on. Yeah, I try to get teams to go, hey, look, you're helping them make that buying decision easier. Because nine times out of 10, they got to go talk to their boss or boss's boss about this project they've been looking at and answer the tough questions. Here's why we're doing it, why we're doing it now, why we think we should go with Angela and her team, why we think it's worth it to go with Angela. She's not the cheapest. Everybody's on board. Here's the timing. So we're trying to help them get the their ducks in a row, if you will, to be better able to sell internally. All right, one off, it's not off topic, but I guess it's kind of operational. Every company's got sales stages. I kind of look at it like religion. So I try not to change it. (laughs) But everybody talks about aligning to the customer journey and the focus. Any advice there on how you've seen organizations be effective of having simple, understandable sales stages in Salesforce from a process perspective? while still being able to do the things that we just talked about. Any advice? Yeah, and so the best processes are derived from the customer journey. So if you don't have a customer journey and then you build a customer journey, you don't need to go and scrap your internal processes. That's not what we're saying. But there is benefit to realign them and ensure there is a correlation between the customer journey and the process. I think the most success I've always had is when we've understood the customer journey and the processes are built the other way, but sometimes that just isn't possible. So just making sure that you can then be agile and adjust things once you're aware of the customer journey 
will have a great impact. And it's something that I've just literally recently done in an organization. We built new sales process and we just simplified it. We just try to make it as simple as possible, but everybody understands and it's linked to now the customer journey. So they know what stage they're in and how does that relate to the buyer's journey and where the customer is so they can tie the two together. Amazing, Angela. I think we could talk about this topic all day long because we're all passionate about this. I'm going to shift gears a little bit though, because I'm curious about you personally. What would be a big mistake or misstep you took in your career? And what advice would you give to our listeners to help them to avoid the same thing? Yeah. Wow. So I think for me, it's one from maybe my early days in sales and name working for, I was working for a big tech company and you can probably gamble which one that is if you looked at my profile on LinkedIn, but I'm not going to say names. <laughs> There's a bit of fear. And I'm very passionate about what I do. And so when working with the execs and them telling me their problems, I had the solution already. Well, I believed I had the solution already. I think in experience or just my junior years of being in sales enablement, I pushed hard because I knew I've been here before in another organization and I pushed hard with trying to get that initiative in place. I didn't win in that situation. The exec said, no, this isn't the right time. This isn't right now. And then we went through a process and he soon came back to me, which was great, and said, hey, I wish I'd listened to you now. We should have done that now. We'd be like... So for me, the mistake I made there is I don't need to push hard. Sometimes you just need to sit back and you have to let others come to these conclusions. And when they're ready, you're better to go on a journey together rather than just because you might have been there and experienced this before, trying to push hard your initiative because you know it will save time. You really need your team on board to go with you rather than to be that lone wolf because you've done that before. So I think for me, it's to not go alone in my journeys to always ensure that I'm going along with the execs and have that sponsorship. I love that because it kind of ties back to how now we say selling is not telling. And it's kind of the parallel to that, right? I can tell you everything you need because I've seen it before. But if you're not ready to do it, Carlos, you can correct me if I get this wrong, but we like to say to people, like, which is more impactful, being told something or discovering it for yourself? Then that's definitely the case in your story there. Yeah. And I think if it, I think we learn better by making those mistakes. I think we just need to have an environment that allows us to do that and a supporting team that says, hey, that's okay. We've done that. We've learned that now. We don't want to do that again. So what are we going to do differently next time? But you do need that environment, that support around you to know that it's okay sometimes when these things happen. That's very true too. And also kind of going back to a few things that you were saying about tool sets, but I'm a huge proponent of test it, but measure it. Like let the data tell you what was right or wrong. And in this case too, let your customers tell you. Yeah, for sure. I'm very data-driven. A lot of the stuff that I do on around enablement is based on that data. So somebody says that we need to do something or we have a gut reaction. Okay, what's the evidence that says that that's the case right now? What do we know now? And if that's the case, what do we want it to look like? And again, back to saying before, measuring those results in a over a period of time, over milestones to make sure that actually we're heading in the right direction. Because sometimes things change and you do need to adjust and pivot. Very true. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for that, Angela. We're changing direction again a little bit here. There's two questions we ask every guest at the end of each interview. And the first is that as a revenue executive yourself, who's been a part of these teams for all of your career, it sounds like you are often a prospect for sales and SDRs. 
So what could somebody do? What would someone have to do who did not have an introduction to you? You have no warm referral or anything like that. It's cold reach out. What would it have to contain to actually earn your attention and maybe even get a response? Yeah, I love that you just asked me that because it's really timely. So just recently, so let me go back. So let me outline what those things are. So for me, it's about to stand out, be creative, do something different. Because you'll know the emails that come into LinkedIn nowadays, the emails that you have to try and keep on top of. You need to stand out from the crowd and be creative. And the other thing is it needs to be timely and relatable to the person that you're reaching out to. And so this just happened to me very recently. Email is like building up in LinkedIn and then pop out comes something that looks a bit different. It's a voice note. Uh, There's a little bit of FOMO going. Do I listen to it? Like, what am I missing out if I don't listen? Like, I need to listen to this. So I click on it. It's only 30 seconds from a rep. And he talks about a post that I'd posted on LinkedIn literally an hour before. He didn't mention his company name. He didn't mention what they did. He talked about that post and his point of view. And all of a sudden, even though, unfortunately, I had no interest for the technology that he was selling me, if he was then to approach me again, I'd just be open to it because I loved his approach. He made this about me. And then also, I shared this with the team winning to where I am now. And Funny enough, a couple of the other colleagues said to me, well, he's also been doing his terrain map because he's also connected with me. And I just thought this is a great example of prospecting. Shared that with the team. And now I can get to share that with even more people through this podcast. I love it. Excellent. That was great. All right. So here's a big last one called Acceleration Insights. It's basically, hey, what's that one piece of advice you would want to give our listeners to help them achieve their own goals and be successful like you are? Yeah, I think it's data for me and everybody talks about data, right? But it's really important for me is using the data to build your story. So understand what's happening today, where you want to get to and measure that data along that way. That way you can be really clear. One, you're meeting the goals of the company. Two, you're meeting the goals of the other members in the team. And three, you know where you're going personally. And if there is results that are not appearing as you expected them to see, stop, pause, edit, make changes, Stop all together if it's really not doing a thing, replan and then start again. I love it. Love it. And like I mentioned, we could probably talk to you all day, Angela, but thank you so much for taking the time. If a listener was interested in talking to you about any of the topics today or approaching you about a speaking engagement, how would you prefer to be contacted? Yeah, just through LinkedIn. And if you do a voice note, I'm definitely going to put that one up, right? (laughs) Excellent. Good timing. And again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really great having you on the show to talk about this. No, great. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. All right, everyone. That does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your kids, your dogs, your cats. And if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.